uh, this morning. Um, man, this has been such an incredible season. Like, this has been a really awesome time over the past few months working through specifically the life of Abraham. And as I was thinking about where we have been over the past uh, few uh, few months um, and the, the, the transition and the transformation that we have observed in the life of Abraham, um, this morning we come to a text that highlights that um, to an infinite degree for us, okay, the, the growth um, that he has, um, that he has been brought into as a result of the Lord's faithfulness, of his commitment. This morning we are talking about um, God's provision and a people's confidence, the faithful provision of God. It's kind of the theme that we have found ourselves in um, as we've studied through the life of Abraham as we're working our way through the book of, uh, the book of Genesis. I want to begin with a quote. And the quote is this, if we attempt to read the Bible primarily as a rule book for life, it'll crumble between our fingers. If we read it primarily as a moral guidebook for our lives, there's opportunity to find ourselves in a terrible mess. Reading the Bible this way or presenting the Bible this way provides opportunity to construct barriers to the faith as opposed to seeing individuals drawn by God into the wonders of the Christian life. However, when we read the Bible as God intends, we see it primarily as a testimony to Christ. Now, this is my brief summarization of an article that I read this past week by Glenn Skeever, exploring the scandal of the events of Genesis 22 and how, um, and how as readers we are to approach this text. Right, what's the emphasis in Genesis 22? Well, the emphasis is ultimately uh, being that the Bible is, is one story that points to Jesus. That's what he's saying, right? It's all about him, and and he, Jesus, is its hero. From every passage, we are driven to Christ. We're driven to Christ and the transformational intent that he desires and empowers. Let's be clear, the call of Genesis 22 is not, parents, sacrifice your children. Right to, to which um, an, an audible sigh of relief goes out from all of the, the young people that are with us here this morning. Instead, Genesis 22 serves to point Abraham to Jesus. And it serves to, to point Abraham to Jesus despite the fact that he would not have been able to articulate this point in the same way that I just did. Genesis 22 serves to point Abraham to Jesus, and Genesis 22 serves to point you and I 2,000 years after his death, resurrection, and ascension back to Jesus. And so this morning, as we approach this text, there are three observations that we are going to seek to draw out, and they are as follows. Note-takers, this is it. Here we go, okay? Number one, our God instills confidence. Our God instills confidence. Okay, so in light of what we are going to to see and explore and understand from Genesis 22 this morning about the character and nature of God, we know that it ought to be producing something in us. And that is confidence in in who he is, in his character and his nature and in what he is Doing confidence in his plan and in his purpose, confidence in his will. Our God instills confidence. Number two, our God extends provision. Our God extends provision. We're saying something here, right? As as we see Moses saying something here about the character of the Lord that He provides. It's going to be a very strong and prevalent theme as we work our way through this passage this morning. Number one, God instills confidence. Number two, our God extends provision. And then finally, number three, our God offers blessing. Our God offers 
blessing. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about what that means because I would, I would venture to guess that as we start talking about blessing and what it means to be blessed even by the Lord, that there are a number of ideas that begin to come to our minds. And so we want to, we want to have a most biblical understanding of what it means to be blessed. Our God instills confidence, our God extends provision, and our God offers blessing. All of these come together to make this this main overarching theme that I want you guys to walk away with a deeper understanding of this morning. And that is this, that, that God's work instills confidence. God's word, God's work instills confidence, producing trust. And a daily election to worship him as we rest in his absolute control. Let me say that one more time. God's, God's word, God's word instills confidence, producing in you and I trust and a daily election to worship him as we rest in his absolute control. There's a lot there, isn't there? They're saying something about God. They're saying something about, about our response in light of what this text says about God. And then it says something else about God. Okay, So we're leaning heavily on what Genesis 22 has to say about God. And you and I are desiring to respond appropriately. So let's go to our text. Right? Point one, observation number one, our God instills confidence. Look with me at Genesis 22 verse 1. Over the past few weeks, we've been talking about a lot of growth in the life of Abraham. And last week, observable through his conversation with Abimelech, which we will reference um, a number of times throughout our time in Genesis 22 this morning. So I won't, I won't belabor the point now. Let's go to uh, Genesis 22, verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham. And he said to him, Abraham. Which Abraham says, here I am. He said, being God, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah. And offer him there as a burnt offering on uh, one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, And took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place uh, of which God had told him. Verse 4. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I'm the boy, will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them, together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father, he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? To which, verse 8, Abraham said, God will Provide. God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. What can we say in light of what we have observed from the life of Abraham over the past few months? Well, we can say this. We can say that Abraham and his family have grown in their faith and understanding of the goodness and power of God. In fact, God has provided for Abraham tangible evidence of his sovereign control by providing he and Sarah with their son Isaac. I want us to think about that for just a moment. The the, the tangible evidence of the sovereign control of the Lord. They can actually touch it. That's what tangible means, right? That you can you can take you can take hold of it, right? You can feel it. They can, they can take this evidence in their arms. They can watch this evidence run and jump. Isaac, the son of Abraham and Sarah, is a living example of the power of God to what? To bring life from death. An understanding that is going to prove most important as we come into our time in this passage this morning. 
Now, last week we discussed the transforming work of God's grace observable in Abraham. Consider for a moment what we, what we saw. Uh, for those of you who weren't here, go back and check out part three of Genesis 21 online. Shout out to Mac for getting that up every week. Dude, thank you for your service. We observe uh, last week from Genesis 21 displeasure from the life of Abraham being replaced with deliberate obedience. We observe de- deception being replaced with directness. We observe in the life of Abraham over the past few chapters a healthy word informed trust in God being fostered being facilitated, being produced, a trust that climaxes this morning in Genesis 22 with God's testing of Abraham. Look with me again at verse 1. After these things, God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, which again, Abraham responds, here I am. He says, take your son, your only son, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Now, God's instruction here is threefold. What is his instruction to Abraham? Well, number one, take Isaac. Okay, number, number two, go where I will tell you. And then, in a most surprising turn of events, sacrifice him. Abraham, take your son Isaac to the mountain that I will show you, and there I want you to, let's consider what is involved in this act, cut his throat. And when he is dead, I want you to divide his body into sections on top of the altar before burning it. Until there is nothing left but ashes. There's no insight in Genesis 22 from the text as to Abraham's feelings in light of God's call. But we can imagine, can't we? Right? Undoubtedly, Abraham's heart sinks. This is, this is God's call, and it is one that Abraham would have understood, both in terms of its practice as well as observation. In Genesis chapter 12, let's consider where we've been and how that shapes the way that we understand what we read this morning. In Genesis chapter 12, we are informed that Abraham is from Ur. And what does that mean? How is that helpful? Well, well Ur is a region known to have practiced human sacrifice. Abraham has been in Canaan, again, an area known to have practiced human sacrifice. And now there is this call in Genesis 22. A call that, as we will see, serves to distinguish God from all of the other false gods in the world. Now, we hear this, and we are totally blown away, aren't we? Like, let's engage our emotion for a minute. Like, we are surprised, we're shocked, we're blown away. Perhaps if you are unfamiliar with who our God is, you are even a bit offended. But as as God's people, we must read this account and this passage in light of what we know of the full character of God made clear by way of his word. I mean, we have access to it, don't we? We have access to the full revelation of God, making clear his character. And thus we read this and we go, wait a second. What is going on? But there's a sense in which Abraham is learning as he goes. God is revealing himself. He is in the process of revealing himself to Abraham. There is no framework about this God apart from what he might have heard and is now experiencing. Okay, there are no resources that, that Abraham can lean into or consult in order to gain greater insight. And yet, in spite of presumed dread, what do we observe in verse 3? Obedience. 
Look with me there. So Abraham rose early in the morning. He saddled up his donkey. He took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut the wood for the burnt offering. Many commentators point to the order of events here to support kind of the whirlwind that Abraham finds himself in at this particular moment. It wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to saddle the donkeys and then cut the wood. It seems like you would reverse that sequence of events. But Abraham's mind is undoubtedly swimming cut the wood for the burnt offering, and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Verse 4, On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. And out of the incomprehensible arises this display of supernatural confidence. Confidence constructed upon a supernatural faith. Well, a supernatural faith in what? A supernatural faith in who? Well, a supernatural faith in God to do something that up until this point is totally unprecedented. Something that our understanding of, both spiritually and physically, is expounded upon in the New Testament. Here, we observe Abraham's introduction to a very important theological and doctrinal point that we're going to talk about in just a moment. But Abraham begins by by telling those traveling with him to stay here with the donkey. Why? Well, so that I and the boy can can go over there and worship, and as he says in verse 5, come again to you. What do we observe being constructed here? Something that is expounded upon in the New Testament, but as we come to Genesis chapter 22, is altogether new. We are observing a presentation of the doctrine of resurrection. It's being introduced to us here in Genesis 22. Abraham is unsure of what is to happen next. Right, the way that these events will play themselves out. A statement that I am confident in making In light of what we read in verse 8, as Isaac is carrying the wood on his back as though condemned, asks his father, where is the lamb for the sacrifice? Well, what was Abraham's response? He says, God will provide for himself the lamb. God will provide for himself the sacrifice. From Genesis 22, we see the doctrine of resurrection. As Abraham shares with his servants his belief that God possesses the power to what? To raise the dead. How? How do we see that? How do we observe that? Well, the instruction has been clear. Remember the three parts that we discussed earlier on. Take Isaac, go where I will tell you, and sacrifice him. And yet Abraham displays this this supernatural confidence without knowing how all of the events are to transpire that he and Isaac will return back to the young men who are watching the donkey. That God possesses the power to raise the dead. Abraham is unwavering in his faith. That's noteworthy. Abraham is unwavering in his faith. Now, where does this come from, right? We're, we're touching base. We're checking in. And if you're a parent in the room and you're going, man, if such an instruction were to come to a relatively unknown God, given the incomplete nature of all that we possess, I don't know how I would respond to that. Let's take it outside of, of this most pertinent illustration, let's just talk about about an unwavering faith in the Lord to provide and meet a very uh, basic of need. It's an area of struggle for us, isn't it? Like, we're, we're checking in here. Like, let's just be real. Let's be transparent. It's difficult. Thus, making Abraham's response noteworthy, unwavering, and supernatural in nature. God at work in Abraham, having displayed consistency and patience to bring Abraham along. Consider, this is the same man, (laughs) this is the same man who lied on multiple occasions, as we mentioned last week, about the relationship that he enjoyed with his wife. And now we see him displaying obedience to this call to take his son up a mountain, to kill him, dismember him, and burn him to ash. All the while, confident that they would return. 
Confident that, that if things were to play out as Abraham expected, that the Lord could bring him back to life. Right? That the Lord could raise the dead. That the Lord could, in the same way that he pieced him together in his mother's womb, piece him back together again. We observe a, an unwavering faith, supernatural in nature and situationally informed. Supernatural in that it comes from God in the same way that our faith comes from God. And situationally informed in the same way as with you and I that there are countless instances of God's work to reflect back on that support such a confidence in him. We get a glimpse here. Okay, we get a glimpse as to what trust mixed with great uncertainty looks like. Now, it sounds a bit like a contradictory statement in the beginning, doesn't it? Right, trust mixed with great uncertainty. Two examples that might help us to understand what this looks like and to make the case that they don't actually have to exist in opposition to one another. Thursday, um, uh, before I enjoyed an incredible lunch with Pastor Neil at the Highland Deli up off of the square in Carrollton, um, he prayed and I took note. <laughs> I told him, I, as soon as he said amen, I said, I've got to write this down. Like, this is what I'm talking about. This is what we see here. In his prayer, um, he, he said this. He said, Father, thank you for this food. It's delicious. Now, what's interesting about, about the order of events and the prayer that Neil offered, the same way that it illustrates for us trucks, trust mixed with uncertainty, is that Neil was expressing this confidence in the goodness of the food that was to be taken, built on experience. Right, it was built on, on past experience. How do I know that? Well, because I was with him, and we hadn't eaten anything yet. Right? But there was, this, there was this confidence that he had, right, in light of, of all of the previous visits, lunches at the Highland Deli, that what we were to take in was going to be awesome. Right? His, his experience shaped and formed his prayer. He gave thanks to the Lord and, and, and gave thanks for the good tasting food, as though he had already had. Well, because on countless occasions, he had. We're all familiar with this. And we're, all, we're all familiar with, with how this works. Abraham is not sure what is going to happen. There's a degree of uncertainty there. But what does he know for sure? But well, we don't have to guess, right? Like he says, we will return. We will come back. The author of the Hebrews writes this in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, so we're reflecting back on this very same scene here. By faith, when, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise was in the act of offering up his only son. What an interesting order. Abraham offered up his son, and he was in the process of offering up his son. It was though it had already happened. Abraham was in the act of offering As though he had already offered. Right, a faith that from all we can tell is indeed unwavering in spite of a large degree of uncertainty as to how these events were to transpire. I don't know what will happen or how this issue in my life will be resolved, but I'm confident in this. God will provide. Of this I am certain, and as a result I move forward confident in that which seems uncertain but is in actuality absolutely certain. 
Where is certainty found here as we begin in Genesis 22? Well, well, certainty is found and founded upon the will of God. right? Not one's earthly understanding, not one's limited and oftentimes imperfect perspective. Certainty here that results in an act of obedience is rooted in, okay, it's, it's founded in, it rests upon this confidence that God produces. Not only does God instill confidence, but as we begin to see from verses 1 through 8, further exploring in verses 9 through 14, our God extends provision. And so we begin with this idea that that, that God instills confidence. Then we transition in the text to this idea that God extends provision. It's introduced in verse 5, but it's displayed more clearly in verses 9 through 14. Look with me at verse 9. When they came to the place of which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order, bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. We see here faith on display. We see here confidence on display. We see faith on display from two of the three primary characters in this story, Abraham as well as Isaac. Let's consider again the sequence of events. Isaac is carrying the wood for his own sacrifice. And then, despite the fact that he is much younger, likely 16 at this point, despite the fact that he is much stronger, Isaac here submits to the will of his father. How do we know that? Well, because he allows himself to be bound. But he allows himself to be bound and, and, and offered up. Verse 10. Then Abraham reached out his hand and he took the knife to what? To slaughter his son. And just about the time, just about the time that he is about to spill his precious blood, Pouring out his life in an act of obedience, God again intervenes. Verse 11. The angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. We get this picture, right? We imagine as Abraham is, is, is climbed up upon the altar. His son is bound. And he lifts his head back, exposing his throat. Right? Prepared to, to, prepared to cut. Resulting in the death of his beloved. When just about the time that it's about to happen, there's an intervention. Abraham, Abraham. Abraham's faith in the conversation that would follow is is emphasized. A faith that has, over recent events, been stretched. a, A belief... That has been grown and a hope that has been affirmed. What is that hope? What what are we to, to gather? What are we to glean in light of what we observe here from this passage? We observe from Abraham a, a stretched faith, a grown faith, a hope that has been informed in the same power that created the heavens and the earth. The same power that that calls creation into obedience is the same power that calls saints from death. That is his confidence. Verse 13. Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold. Again, let's let's enter into the emotion of the text. Blood is is pumping, not spilling. (laughs) Right? Abraham Man, like I was ready to do it. Like I was there. I was committed. 
There's an intervention. Abraham lifts his head. He, he looks over, and what does he observe? Behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and he took the ram and he offered it up as a burnt offering in the same way that we have already discussed, that which is typical for a burnt offering. Know that I didn't just make all that up, how that happens. Right? That is how a burnt offering is to be offered. Abraham takes up the ram, he, he offers it up as the burnt offering instead of his son, in place of his son. Right? Not only do we see um, introduced to the doctrine of resurrection, but substitution. A ram in place of a son. Verse 14, so Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, on the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. The faith that Abraham possessed as he and Isaac made their way up the mountain. Faith that, would, uh, faith that God would provide a sufficient sacrifice is made sight in verse 13. Right? There's, a, there's a confidence that is, that is displayed in, in verses 5 through this middle portion, but as we come into verse 13, this faith is made to be sight. He sees the Lord's provision. Right? He sees the Lord's intervention. He observes substitution at work, not your son, but this ram, again, that the Lord has provided. This is a, a point of confidence. Again, for Abraham, as literally the mountain is named after this reality. Now, we hear this story, and, and I hope that there are alarm bells that are going off in your mind. This beautiful contrast between this scene and the experience of Jesus. In this passage, we observe a son who is marching to the altar, willing to lay his life down in obedience to his father's will. Great similarities. Glaring differences. Here we see that the son is spared. The only son is, is spared. Isaac avoids the blade. Now what is the distinction here, right? Well, the gospel makes, makes clear, right, that there is the sacrifice of a righteous one who brings sinners into sainthood, right, who, who makes us saints, who makes us a part of God's family. Here the son avoids the blade, whereas Jesus does not. Why? Well, as willing as Isaac might have been, his sacrifice would have been insufficient. Right? It would have been insufficient to produce forgiveness for sins. This would require a sacrifice not from Abraham and a sacrifice not from Isaac, but a sacrifice from God himself. Right? It would require that, that he, as articulated by Abraham, produce the sacrifice provide the offering which he did and would in the person of Jesus. Grace, grace, God's grace. Let's consider how this fits into the overarching story and themes observable in Genesis. In Genesis chapter 3, we observe God seeking Adam and his bride in the thickets. Sin's entrance into the world, shame, and retreat into the bushes. God seeks them, he, he pursues them, and he brings them out, sharing hope as well as, con as, as, uh, as, well as consequence. Here in Genesis 22, we see the provision of God taken from the thickets and sacrificed so that Abraham and his son Isaac might know the extent of God's goodness. So they might know the extent of, of God's goodness displayed in an infinitely greater degree at Calvary. As Jesus 
fulfills the promise of the seed that would save his people through his shed blood. A promise that progresses because of God's provision and the sparing of Isaac. Again, think of all of the various elements that instill confidence in Abraham and for Abraham that he and Isaac will return. It's reemphasized here in this passage, right, that the nations might indeed be blessed through who? We saw this just a few weeks ago, right, as, as Hagar and Ishmael are sent out. It is through Isaac. Right, that this promise will indeed be moved forward. And as a result, right, despite the, um, the great concern right, and confusion, in light of the instruction of the Lord, Abraham is confident to move forward in faith, aware of God's working in this bigger scale, to this greater degree than he is even able to fully comprehend, in bigger ways than you and I are able to, to fully comprehend. And so we ask this question. It's a great opportunity to ask a question. <laughs> the question is this. What does God want? You ever ask yourself that? Like, what does God want? Like, what does God want from me? Like, what does God, what does God want in me? What does God want? Here's what God wants. You ready for this? God wants our worship. Okay, God wants our worship. God wants our allegiance more than anything else. And in response, not only does God instill confidence, not only does our God extend provision, but he offers blessing. Right? Our God offers blessing. He wants the allegiance of his people. He wants the worship of his people. And in response, the Lord blesses his people. Look with me at verse 15. And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord. Because you have done this and have not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you. And I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of the heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gate of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all of the nations of the earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. What does the Lord want? What does God want from you? He wants your worship. Right? He wants your allegiance. Right? He, he regenerates our hearts. He gives us a desire to, to move forward in a supernatural manner this direction. What does God want for you? My goodness. I mean, we could have this conversation about a myriad of issues that you are undoubtedly experiencing in your own life, like right now. But we can say this for sure. That God wants the allegiance of his people. That he wants the worship of his people. Verse 19. So Abraham returned to his young men. Just like we saw in the beginning. Hey, like, I don't know what's going on. But we're coming back. And here he comes back. He comes back with Isaac. And they rose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham lived at Beersheba, in the same way that Abimelech leverages God's name to ensure honesty from Abraham in Genesis chapter 21. You remember this from last week. Abraham, you don't have the best track record in terms of displaying honesty. Again, remember Abimelech experienced the consequence of Abraham's dishonesty. As a result, Abimelech leverages the name of the Lord. On the name of the Lord, promise, right, that things will go well, that there will be peace. To which Abraham says, like, absolutely. In the same way, in the same way that Abimelech leverages God's name to ensure honesty from Abraham in Genesis 21, here God leverages his own name. Right? He, he leverages his own name to emphasize his work to bless Abraham and through Abraham to bless the nations because of his obedience. What does he say? By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this, everything that I've been telling you since Genesis chapter 12, I am I'm re-saying, right? I'm articulating yet again, I'm bringing you back into this great reminder 
through Abraham, the nations of the world shall be blessed. And because of Abraham's obedience and the faithfulness of God, the persistence of God, the pursuit of God, the sacrifice of God, the nations will be blessed. But how do we understand this work of blessing? Right, what, is this, what does this look like as we, as we bring it home to, to our current context? On Instagram, if you search hashtag blessed, <laughs> you will find, as of last night, 105 million results. You'll find another 3.4 million for blessed with the, um, with the prayer hand emoji thing. Fan favorite, apparently. And 1.1 million for hashtag blessed life. You can laugh at that. It's funny. All of these are used to talk about things considered to be blessings, right? Many often equated with, um, like, the right outfit, right? That perfect full-length mirror, right, and selfie light. Comfort, enjoyment, good health, and minimal struggle. Now, we laugh, but we also relate, don't we? Right, connecting this idea of what it means to, to be blessed right, with our own, our own personal desires and expectations. But Jesus had a different understanding of what it means to live a blessed life. All right, this type of, of blessing that we see being, being discussed here didn't necessarily lead to an abundance of physical comfort. What are we talking about here? The promise from the Lord to Abraham, the blessing of the nations, is the redemption of the nations. Now, you and I are not exactly reaping all of the most difficult benefits for being Christians here in America. But our dear brothers and sisters throughout this world do, right? Like to follow after Christ brings with it not this like vast degree of comfort, but great discomfort. Hashtag blessed prayer hands. <laughs> Instead, it's about, about actively pursuing God. It's about actively pursuing God, being approved by God. Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, man. Approved are those. Pursuing God and his, his will for our lives, even if that means encountering difficulties and challenges. I came across an article from Wycliffe a couple of days ago um, in which they were unpacking this idea of being blessed, to which there was this great challenge that I'm now going to share with you. Not original, but a paraphrase. And so um, hang with me for just a moment as I, as I read this. Rather than asking ourselves how God wants to bless our lives, perhaps the better question is to ask, if we are willing to intentionally pursue him, whatever that may look like. We see this beautiful display of obedience born out of Genesis chapter 22. No matter what this looks like, a pursuit, an intentional pursuit of him, whatever that may look like. Would you then challenge you and I be willing to potentially surrender your dreams or encounter hardships if it meant pursuing God wholeheartedly? Like, would you? Could you acknowledge that the pursuit of God is really the blessing itself, knowing God, adoption into the family as a result of, of Christ's substitutionary work in our place? Right. So the next time that we think about blessings or how blessed you don't feel, step back and pause. 
Open up Matthew chapter 5 and allow Jesus' words to wash over you and give you a new perspective of what it really means to be blessed because we all need to realign our definition of blessed with God's definition of blessed. When we're in the center of God's will, we live blessed, abundant lives because here it is, because we have him. We live blessed, abundant lives. Lives because he has committed himself to his people. Because, because he is with us. And that is all that we really need. And so as we consider the, the transformational intent, a word, a phrase, an idea that we talk about on a regular basis... Of Genesis 22, let's revisit the overarching theme of this passage. God's work instilling confidence, producing trust, and a daily election to worship Him as well as rest in His absolute control. What does it look like as you and I are transformed by what we read here from Genesis chapter 22? Take note, here it is. Absolute trust in the power of God. Right, absolute trust in, in the power of God. Right, we look to him, confidence, a faith that mirrors that of Abraham, a, a daily election to trust God with everything that we are and with everything that we have, believing that nothing rests outside his absolute control. We said just a few weeks ago right, that there are, are aspects of Abraham's character that cause us to shrink back. What we observe here from Genesis chapter 22, perhaps the greatest example of growth in faith that we have, is not one of those. It's something that we we desire to be a part of, right? the way that we look to the Lord. Absolute trust. Absolute trust in the provision of God. In verse 1, we are brought into this realization that God tests. In the verses that follow, we see what it looks like. In the lives of Abraham and Isaac. This is a story of sufficiency. What is this story about? Provision. Sufficiency. The sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to save. The truer and better sacrifice. The most sufficient. The only sufficient sacrifice. And the sufficiency that the faith that God gives possesses to produce the response that he desires. Did you catch that? Let me say that one more time. It's a story of of sufficiency, sufficiency of Christ's sacrifice to save and the sufficiency that the faith God gives possesses to produce the response that he desires. So what does God desire? He desires our worship. He, He desires our allegiance. How do we do that? Well, we look to him. Right, We rest in him. It is not in and of ourselves. It is not our own strength. If you're here this morning and you are struggling right, with, with, with faith and confidence in the Lord, my message to you is not like muster it up, will it up. It's look to Christ. Right? He does this. He produces it. The Spirit produces this in us. And as a result, we are brought into a right practice of the response that he desires. We see this willingness to lay down all things, to lay all things aside, confident that he will provide. Oh God, you never leave my side. Your love will, will stand firm for all my life. This realization producing this response. Isaac is saved. The one whom Abraham's offspring would be named. And the one who would connect the promised seed with his very needy creation in order that we too might be saved. Right? Not, not physically, but spiritually. Living examples of the power of God to bring life from death as we look to Christ in faith. Remember we talked in the beginning about this, this, this tangible nature of certain things. Isaac being himself, this, this tangible, right, illustration and example of the faithfulness of God and his power. So too are God's people. 
Right? We are living examples, tangible examples and evidence of God's goodness and commitment, his faithfulness to rescue, to redeem, and to save. We're reminded that confidence for Genesis 22 and confidence for you and I is not born out of light and momentary affliction. But instead, hardship, difficulty, it's been a part of the story of Abraham. Consider again the transformation that we have observed. And so the question that we are presented with as we close our time is this. Does the worship or the work of God elicit the same response in us? Or does the work of God elicit the same response in us? Does the word of God elicit a response of worship from us? Are we abiding it? Are we seeking counsel and wisdom from it? Are we willing to lay everything down in obedience to it? Expectations for life and marriage and occupation are all of these things, not opportunity for worship. I had a great conversation with Will Sexton on Monday morning. After we had coffee and discussed Woke Church at Gallery Road. Shameless plug, 7 a.m., come hang out with us. And he reminded me over the course of our conversation that um, very few people get to do uh, what they love and are truly passionate about. If you're in this room and you are able to do that, if you're doing that, you're one of very few. Most people don't get to do that, and all of God's people said amen. What if we began to view, and this is just one small slice of the application that we can take away from Genesis 22. What if, what if your occupation is not intended primarily for your joy? That's what I was thinking about, Stephanie, in light of Will and I's conversation. What if it's not intended primarily for our joy, but what if it is intended primarily for growth? Growth and and reflection as you are reminded of his sovereign rule and will. But I've needed this reminder. There are still days that I need this reminder. And I venture to guess that you are in need of this reminder as well. This is, again, one example that relates to our everyday lives. However, as we come to the table this morning, I want you to ask yourself this. I want you to ask yourself what opportunity the Lord has allotted to you to reflect on his work while trusting in his provision and blessing. It's oftentimes born out of hardship. We see that through the life of Abraham. We observe that here in Genesis chapter 22. But oh, let us remember the faithfulness of the Lord. This, This example, this tangible example that we are about to partake as we come to the table. The broken body of Christ. The spilled blood of Christ. The son that was not withheld but willingly laid down his life for our rescue. Resurrection hope, right? That, That we are alive and that our king is alive and that one day we will come to a table. We will dine with him and his people, the blessed nations called and adopted into his family. Hail Christ.